creating cosmos out of chaos. So to, to start off, I mean, we really would love to approach a lot of um, some big picture issues that you have been spending a lot of your energy in your life fighting uh, for the light towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe if we can go to sort of a little bit of the root um, without getting too all encompassing, you know, there, there are people in the world that think everything is running just as it should. And I think we're very curious um, to what's wrong with the world right now in the most specific but broad sense at the same time. And I think part of what's wrong with the world is some people think it's running fine because they're taking it in a direction which uh, allows them more extraction, more profits, more control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all they're looking for. And all their measures confirm that to them all the time. Yeah, Whether it's growth measures or it's returns on investment measures or it's gambling on Wall Street with fictitious finance. It's all doing so well. Mm-hmm. And even when it collapses, then in society bails them out, 13 trillion, if I remember the 20, 2008 right. Wall Street crash was. Um, I think what's really wrong is that for 500 years, a tiny group of desperate people started to go around the world and gave themselves the right to conquer. Mm. Colonialism, the papal bull that basically said, after Columbus had set sail and lost his way, he was coming to India. He wasn't going to a new continent. That's why all the First Nations, with all their different tribal names, are called Indios, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because he thought he'd arrived in India. And if you read the Papal Bull, it's basically saying, go conquer whatever territories you can and uh, civilize the barbarians and finish them off if they refuse to get civilized. And I think this idea of civilizing people, I think is is at the root cause of so much, including what's happening today. Because there's some people who really think they're more civilized than the rest, rather than seeing us all Mm -hmm. as Earth beings as equal human beings, diverse but equal. In my worldview, equality and justice is not about uniformity. It's not about sameness. It's not about being exactly identical. It is about freedom mm-hmm. to be who you are. And uh, and then, of course, I think you know, 500 years of colonialism, and we could call it the Colombian com- complex, and then 200 years of fossil fuels. Uh, actually to accelerate and expand the empire. You know, what was the coal doing? The coal was doing two things, running the ships further to get more slaves and shifting production mm-hmm. to England through right. an industrial mode, right. destroying everything. It's not that we weren't wearing clothes. India was the capital of textiles, mm-hmm. all destroyed for colonialism and industrialism. And then you would add the recent deregulation, which is called globalization. But it's not globalization of humanity becoming much more deeply in deep solidarity. But uh, it's really corporations saying, let's just trash every law, every policy, every value that comes in our way. So it's really globalization of greed and corporate power 
And if you look at, you know, 95 and uh, on, onwards when WTO was created, just look at every graph, it's just shooting up like this. Wow. Emissions, pollution, inequality, unemployment, right. um, anxiety, uh, 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 negative identity politics, it all starts to explode. And till we resolve that, till we resolve economics as first and foremost the art of living, which its original meaning is, oikonomia, oikos, the art of living on this beautiful planet. And secondly, uh, restore mm -hmm. the economics to democracy, you know. We yeah. can't have economic dictatorship and pretend democracy. It will not work. Yes, yes. I find that especially at, the, at this time, in the world right now with everything with the pandemic and just hearing a lot about, you know, the global reset and a lot of these terms that are coming to light and we're seeing it, right? They're trying to shift a lot in the world right now. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. And when you say, you know, you mentioned the, the, the beginning of the WTO, um, do you think that was a shift in the paradigm towards this globalization that I, I remember when people started using the term globalization, and I think a lot of people still feel this way, like we were told and sold an idea that this is good for the world, that it brings us closer together, mm -hmm. that there's a unification in that. But the truth of that seems starkly different. Um, and the, the result of this in, on, with the agenda that it's been driven through, um, what happened at that time and how do you think that the intention of globalization, the truth of it actually has been told? So, you know, um, my new movement biography is out called Terra Viva, mm -hmm. published by Jesse Green. And, and I've kind of gone back to the movements of that time. How did I get involved in looking at globalization, which first was the GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, and then was signed and it became the Institutionalized World Trade Organization. I came across GATT through the corporations wanting to patent seed and push GMOs because they said it so clearly at a meeting I attended in 1987, which put me on the path of seed saving. Mm -hmm. They said, we have to own the seed to make new profits. And the only way we can take patents is by claiming that we've done something new. And they used to call them novel organisms as if, you know, they were, they were the makers. And we used to joke in the movement, you know, GMO for Monsanto means God move over. We are going to play the role of God. We are going to be uh, now onwards creators. But in a way, it wasn't for the first time, you know, um, people think free trade grew with the WTO. India was colonized through a free trade agreement, you know. Mm. I've seen the text. Right Honorable East India Company and Farooqshir Farman. Farooqshir was kind of a, um, a collapsing Mughal empire, you know. He, and they bribed some clerks in his court to get this treaty, which basically is exactly what the corporate globalization is hmm. that local and the national will be punished and the global players will be rewarded with monopolies like intellectual property and patents and seed with tax-free status you know i don't think most people have looked at how did the tech industry become so powerful mm -hmm. you know after all you know delivering tools is not being usually the way of being becoming uh, the richest people of the world. Yes. Two things. 
first they managed to push their tools into things where we didn't need it. And secondly, more importantly, they managed to get a tax-free status. Hmm. Yeah? The first WTO meeting was information movement will not be taxed. But information is what mm -hmm. this period was all about. And just look at how the tech giants exploded. And now they're trying to get into our food. And, uh, you know, I think I have sitting um, on my, yeah, I have it right here. This is the book I'm reading right now. Inside Silicon Valley's mission to change the way we eat. Wow. Um, so right now, if, if we look, you know, we defined globalization of in the WTO phase as recolonization because it was taking us back mm -hmm. to where we had been. East India Company got a free trade agreement, took over our country. Um, trade has become the means of, of indirectly ruling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And who trades? Yeah, people produce. Who trades? Corporations trade. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it, just think of the fact that the biggest corporation, Amazon, doesn't produce anything. But it's shifting goods around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every little, everyone's hairpin, everyone's little cup of tea uh, is being shipped. And people have got so used to the pseudo Convenience, I call it, yeah. because I think for me, convenience has to be, is it convenient to the world of which I'm a part? Is it convenient to communities of which I'm a part? Mm -hmm. uh, or is the, my carelessness right. the root of huge unemployment mm -hmm. and huge pollution? I mean, people haven't done the homework. What getting the tiniest good in giant-sized packaging? Yes. How many trees are cut? How much trust styrofoam is piling up? So um, the corporations have just, in a way, worked out brilliantly how to get rid of our realities. Mm -hmm. And Meta is the ultimate example. Yeah. It's a scary thing, Meta. Yeah, no, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's taking us out of the physical, the yeah. physical space and bringing in the digital reality, um, which serves nothing in the end except for their mm -hmm. agenda. Mm -hmm. a, a as a distraction. Yeah. You know, because if you can escape, and why do people in pain, who got unemployed, who were laid off, why do they start taking opiates? Why do they then die of addiction? Mm -hmm. Because they're trying to escape. Mm -hmm. a painful reality and as more and more people you know and and mr meta at his harvard address said and it's i've written about it in my book oneness versus one percent he said so clearly that 99 percent of humanity will be useless yeah in the kind of world they're shaping i mean mm -hmm. this world of uh, of silicon valley food means most farmers will be wiped out if they have their way Yes. And then you won't have real food. If, if ultra-processed food and synthetic elements like high fructose corn syrup have already given us this epidemic of chronic diseases, and it was those comorbidities that killed people during COVID. COVID did not kill people. Mm -hmm. It's the diabetes you had. It's the cancer you had. It's the other problems that you had that killed. And it was interesting. The system was worked out that you'll never mention the other cause yeah. because you, you'll always see died off COVID, even though at, at that early stage, mm -hmm. it, you know, it was definitely the comorbidities, as they said. And I remember the figures. 
9.2% higher risk with uh, diabetes and 7.6% higher, higher risk with cancer. Uh, so the, the virus itself wasn't the ultimate causation. It was the interaction of a virus with a very weakened body. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we are living through is, uh, I've talk, you know, wrote oneness versus 1%, is the illusion-making power mm -hmm. of corporations. Yes. Uh, as, and it's substituting our real worlds, our real knowledges, our real democracies, our real freedoms, our real communications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really a challenge of defending the real, you know? Oh, for sure. And And so for people that are caught in this illusion that's being made what do you think like how can they bring a level of self-awareness into their moment even listening to this to consider what is the illusion and what is the reality and how they've been caught by this well you know from my life's experience the mind has been so deeply colonized mm -hmm. that the mind plays huge tricks yeah, of course. And by and large, when people change or wake up, mm -hmm. it's through an experience. Yeah, uh, through an experience of seeing a forest go, which is what made me an activist and made me join the Chipko movement, uh, or seeing a forest grow. Mm -hmm. Both are amazing experiences that let you wake up. Mm -hmm. And I think what we need is huge um, initiatives to let people have the experience of being in nature, remembering they're part of nature, grow a garden, just be part of the soil. I don't think there's anything more revolutionary than growing a garden. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so beautiful. When COVID hit, the first thing we did was grow a garden. <laughs> yeah, we made our own little garden in our, in our backyard. Yeah. Um, just for that idea of not understanding where the world was going. I think especially during that time of COVID, in the very beginning, there was so much confusion and a lot of fear that, of course, everywhere is being pushed upon people. And to us, it was losing control of of being able to, you know, sustain our family with good, nutritious food, mm -hmm. you know, and that was kind of where it started from. And we're like, OK, let's go. You know, we went and bought seeds and we planted them and we grew a garden and, and it was amazing and it's very delicious food as well, which also made us realize the difference, even the taste of fruit and vegetables when it comes from your own garden versus what you buy even supermarkets and where they ship it from and where they grow it. Like that was a huge realization even for us, just from the physical experience of tasting your own tomato. So, so what, what happened there? Like, mm -hmm. why is there such a difference? And, and what is that difference? Well, you know, the true nutrition in food comes from the soil. And industrial agriculture is, is killing the soil. So the soil is a living system with trillions of microbes, um, you know, uh, fungi, like the mycorrhizal fungi, bacteria that take biomass and turn it into f fertility and nutrients. And this amazing soil web is the basis of the food web. And the food web is the basis of the web of life. Mm -hmm. For people who think they can escape from the food web and, and have a future on lab food, and like I said, Silicon Valley is pouring billions of dollars to make that a reality. But we are food, mm -hmm. yeah? Mm -hmm. We are 
we are made of food and other we are food of other beings you know when you go back to the soil the the microbes have a feast yeah. and uh <laughs> and we're not the top of the pyramid that silly idea that you know man stands on the top of the pyramid so the soil organisms create all the amazing fertility not just the the mi- micronutrients that you know we we do a lot of research on our farm and for your listeners i'd like to invite them to the earth university and the courses of navdanya uh, if you go to navdanya n a v d a n y a earth university you'll be able to find up find the courses for the next year but our research has shown that in the 20 years in our valley in the chemical farms the the nitrogen which was being poured through urea went down 22% and on the organic farms without applying external nitrogen the nitrogen went up 100% so where does the nitrogen come from fertilizers or soil organisms mm-hmm. zinc down 34% in the chemical farms that's why everyone has a zinc deficiency wow and up up 14% in our farms and you you know you can just look at all the micronutrients but even more importantly are the phytochemicals now these phytochemicals are what bring you the taste mm. yeah and these only the soil organisms can prepare right. and therefore only organic food that sustains soil organisms and a brilliant researcher in uh, in in France um you know the Eric Serralini uh, has uh, has done experiments with an amazing chef who grows his own food organically and then cooks it fresh mm-hmm. and then uh, Serralini did the research in the lab and and basically they found that actually eating is a communication mm-hmm. yeah eating is a communication when its food is growing it's a communication between the plant and the soil but when we are eating food the communication is between the food and its diverse personalities and the 100 trillion microbes in our gut and the richer the diversity in the gut and in the soil the richer is that conversation that's health sorry for the interruption i just wanted to quickly say that if you are enjoying this podcast right now we have put so much love and energy into this creation and it would mean the world to us if you click that subscribe and follow button because we've got so many more guests coming up your way and we cannot wait to share it with you thank you so much now back to the episode but you mentioned the uh, in the beginning where you were saying that they're destroying the soil how are they destroying it what are they doing to it okay when when i you know started 40 years ago to uh, why, why do i do agriculture i'm trained in quantum theory that's what i should have been doing yeah. 1984 in my country two massive disasters took place 84 interestingly is the title of orwell's book hmm. 1984 yeah. and the in a part of india where i done my uh, masters uh, in particle physics i done an honors by degree in particle physics in punjab and it was very prosperous and very peaceful but in a few years uh, you know there was violence and 15000 people had been killed and most of it was around anger of farmers just as much as the oklahoma bombing you know was anger of dispossessed rural communities who were creating militias um and that same year in the city of bhopal a pesticide plant owned by union carbide leaked and killed thousands and its people are still being born maimed wow. 
So that year I said, why are we doing an agriculture that kills so many people? Why do we use pesticides? Where did they come from? And then I found that it basically, they're war chemicals. The fertilizers are made by the same process, Haber-Bosch process it's called, that used to be used in Hitler's Germany to make explosives and ammunition. Mm -hmm. You fix atmospheric nitrogen at very high temperature, create ammonium nitrate, and that's the bombing. Yeah? All the bombs in the world are, nit are nitrogen bombs. Uh, and then after the wars, they said, why, why not use this for chemicals? And an entire spin was made of the Green Revolution. And chemicals were pushed on countries like mine. And Punjab was the first place where the so-called Green Revolution was first implemented. Why was it called green? Was there a green movement at the time? No, it was just a color from red, you know, red was the revolution taking place in China, and they didn't want India to be infected. But when they applied chemical fertilizers to native seeds, because we have bred seeds for meeting everyone's needs, the grain for human beings, the straw for the animals, and to go back to the soil, because the soil needs food, our fellow beings need food, and we need food. So we made tall varieties that would give lots of straw to the animals and the soil, and we could eat the grain. Mm -hmm. But when they applied fertilizers, these tall varieties started to lodge, yeah, they'd fall. So Mr. Borlaug was put on the task of changing the plant to adapt to chemicals. That's why they made dwarf varieties. Oh. It's called a miracle, but all it did was shrink the capacity of the land to produce food, to use more fertilizer. Now, if you take an earthworm and apply urea on it, just like when you have a leech, Mm -hmm. You know, you, you apply salt. salt, yeah. Well, exactly the same way. The earthworms with the salt, called urea, they're absolutely killed. The mycorrhizal fungi are killed. The beneficial bacteria are killed. The soil becomes a desert. Wow. But it's worse because then toxic pathogens take over. And then you have more and more lethal chemicals used, anti, you know, uh, fungicides and herbicides. And, and look at the damage that Roundup has done mm -hmm. to agriculture around the world. I'm so glad after years of effort, illegally Roundup was being spread in India. But just today's news is the government's hauling, you know, That's those amazing. who are spraying Roundup illegally back. So the soil gets killed because soil is living. You put a war chemical on soil, the organisms die, but because the organisms are what make soil alive, they also create the aeration in the soil and the water holding some capacity in the soil. 1% organic matter in soil can hold 160,000 liters of water. So when there's no living organisms in the soil, you have no water capacity, so you need external irrigation. That's why industrial agriculture is so water intensive. 10 times more water to produce the same amount of food. So the groundwater starts to run dry. Your dams are bigger and bigger, but look at Lake Mead, it's drying up. All of the big reservoirs created to irrigate are emptying out. And, and what most people don't realize is actually the single most lethal greenhouse gas is nitrous oxide that is emitted from nitrogen fertilizers. It is 300 times more damaging
to the climate than carbon dioxide. But because the industries that want to continue to sell fertilizers don't want this known, there's a huge silence about it. I wrote a book called Soil Not Oil in 2009 in the lead up to the Copenhagen summit. And since that time, people have started to wake up to the role of soil, carbon recycling, sequestration, but silence on nitrogen. And, you know, a, a recent study has just been done that shows that the life cycle of synthetic nitrogen fertilizers emits 1.1 billion tons of carbon dioxide. And this is more than all the flying, you know, people, uh, all, all the commercial flights. Um, so, yeah, you know, because soil is living, it can only be sustained through giving back part of the life. So I call ecological agriculture an agriculture of gratitude and an agriculture of care. Agriculture means care for the land. Mm. The minute you don't have care for the land, you're not doing agriculture. You need another name for it. I would call it war against the land. Yes. But what the soil needs is part of what she gave us. Not all of it, just a tiny bit, mm -hmm. a little bit of organic matter returned in gratitude and a thank you. And then miracles happen. So, you know, that cycle is broken with synthetic fertilizers. Wow. And who who was behind these synthetic fertilizers? Like what corporation started it? Well, it was the Ameri uh, American Standard Oil, Mr. Rockefeller, mm -hmm. who partnered with IG Farben, the cartel that worked for Hitler. So. The chemical expertise was in IG Farben. Hmm. The fossil fuels and the money was with Standard Oil. Hmm. And I call these fossil fertilizers because without fos fertil fossil fuels, you can't make synthetic fertilizers. Without fossil fuels, you can't make pesticides. Without fossil fuels, you can't make any of the petrochemicals that are ruining the world. So this is basically a f the toxic world about which Rachel Carson wrote is about a fossil world. Yeah. So the companies were very clear. It was, you know, at that time it was Standard Oil and IG Farben, and they had a joint company. I've written about them in Oneness versus One Percent. Mm -hmm. And since that time, uh, uh, you know, um, Cargill, its company Matrix, is a big player. Mm -hmm. and, the, and it, it seems yeah. that with all of the concern going on in the world with with fossil fuels being such a contributor to to the destruction of our ecosystem this is getting completely glazed over in the fact that um it's not even being talked about why do you think that is what who's like how is this yeah, kind of message being silent. suppressed yeah you know when i started my activism I could send an article to a newspaper and it would get published. The TV stations would call me because these were urgent issues. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen with the rise of absolutely abnormal wealth and the rise of the billionaires, whom I call the 1%, they have not just taken over sectors of the economy, they've taken over communication. Mm -hmm. And the mainstream media through COVID, we watched how all kinds of manipulation of true news was going on. Yeah. So why don't we hear about this? Because the agribusiness is powerful. 
the agrochemical industry is powerful mm-hmm. and they are driving the model and they don't want the basic knowledge that you can grow food in abundance by not using chemicals mm-hmm. and you know I, I i took the decision after the punjab study and wrote the violence of the green revolution i made the decision i will seek a non-violent farming i i had no idea about organic i had no idea about the different schools of permaculture and i just said this is violent and i want non-violence mm-hmm. so i then started to seek and learn and uh, I can tell you the amount, this poison cartel, I call them, because they are a cartel and they make poison. You know, how else do I? I can't keep track of their names because they change. They engineer themselves every few years. You know, Monsanto started to get identified and millions were marching against Monsanto. And then Bayabot buys it up. Yeah. And, you know, Syngenta gets eaten up by ChemChina. Dow bought up Union Carbide, which caused the Bhopal disaster, and Dow merged with DuPont, and then they turned themselves into Corteva. So I said, if I use their names, one, they keep changing, and second, you know, people get confused. So, I, you know, I, at a talk, I just said, oh, they're the poison cartel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost a column in a newspaper for using that term because Monsanto threatened the newspaper. We'll shut you down. Wow. And uh, so who's behind it? The poison cartel. Hitler's Germany onwards. None of this existed before that horrible experiment of Nazi Germany. Wow. Well, one of the big people that you mentioned, but that comes to my mind is Bill Gates. And I've even heard that Bill Gates recently has become the largest landowner in America. Maybe you could speak a little bit about that because that's very confusing. <laughs> Why is he all of a sudden a <laughs> landowner and a well, farmer and, and a medical expert, apparently? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think all of this is actually connected mm-hmm. because, uh, one, um, Mr. Microsoft gained hugely because of the free trade rules of not, you know, of allowing information transformation transfer, which is how uh, the IT moved to India to save costs, yeah? They, they could pay, pay an Indian one-tenth and get better work done. Right. So we, Silicon Valley moved to Bangalore, moved to Hyderabad, and uh, in fact, the new prime minister of England is married to the heiress of one of the Silicon Valley outsourcing companies called Infosys. And uh, so why is Gates buying up so much farmland? Because Gates has decided, just like he manipulated the issue of COVID and the selling of vaccines and making profits, he, you know, he's on record again and again, the best investment I ever made, vaccines. Um, right now, he wants to control our food and our health. And in my book, Oneness Versus One Percent, I have a chapter where I talk about he called it Gates Ag One. Hmm. One agriculture for the whole world. With all its rich diversity, you know, my own country, I work in agriculture. The mountain terraces and the Rajasthan desert and the rainforest farming and the paddies of Orissa and Bengal, there is no way you can have one agriculture for those different ecosystems. We have biodiversity because climates are different. Different plants adapt to different climates. And just like Mr. Borlaug, who got a Nobel Peace Prize 
for changing the plant to take up more chemicals, Mr. Gates wants to change everything in order to have just a few commodity crops to then feed artificial food. Let's come back to this book. Mm -hmm. So Mr. Gates is the one who's really pushing lab food. And and it's not that lab food will be, you know, come from the air when the f synthetic fertilizers were made. The propaganda was we'll grow food from air. Yeah. Now that we have fertilizers, we won't need land, but you still need the soil. Mm -hmm. And and they allowed people to imagine that this was a land saving technology by ruining the fertility of the land. In exactly the same way, they are such good environmentalists who've been led astray by the idea that lab food will suddenly save the planet and everything will go wild again. No, lab food will need feedstock. Bayer, which is now Monsanto, has said so clearly, basically, you know, the metaphor, the language for lab food is plant-based. Because we can eat a carrot, we don't call it a plant-based food. I eat a carrot, I eat a carrot. I eat spinach, I eat spinach. When a minute I call it an anonymous plant-based, it's really this ultra-ultra-processing in labs. So Bayer has said, our opportunity is bigger than ever because we are the only ones who can grow commodity crops on very large scale. And we will be able to grow raw materials of carbohydrates and protein. So food disappears. Huh. And... And since food is the cycle of life, and we now know most chronic diseases are, are caused because we didn't take care of the quality of the food, and we allowed our gut microbiome to be attacked. You know, every sensible doctor is talking about the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. You can't cheat 100 trillion of our fellow beings. Mm -hmm. And what we should have learned with the industrial food system is what not to do. Mr. Gates is learning from the industrial food system to say, oh, I'll put it on fast forward. I will use more fertilizer. If you read his book, How to Address the Climate Challenge, mm -hmm. he's got a whole chapter on synthetic fertilizers. He's got a photo. He says, I love fertilizers. I'm happier than I look. Someone who, in a time of desertification, in a time of a water crisis, time of climate change, can say, I love the cause of all of this. Wow. And new data is coming out to show that chemically grown food has lost 70 to 80% of its nutrition. It's nutritionally empty mass. Oh it's not food anymore. And to push that at this time, you know, so basically his, the fact that he's taken all that farmland is, is because he wants to do more and more control mechanisms around food. And one of the big, um, one is fake food from labs. Mm -hmm. And if, we know how bad high fructose corn syrup was. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what all this will mean? But I think the second is they're working on a, on a whole new trick on the world. Everyone's worried about climate change. Mm -hmm. but in, again, in his book, he writes, net zero, he's the first one who's, uh, you know, who wrote net zero, and for, in my point of view. Mm -hmm. He wrote it first, and then the, the financial system picked it up. And he says net zero doesn't mean you don't use fossil fuels. Net zero merely means you continue to use fossil fuels, but you find offsets somewhere else. What are the offsets somewhere else? Our land, the land of small farmers, the land of indigenous people. And I think what he's working on is, 
and, and he said it, you know, his, uh, he has so many companies that are buying the land. Mm-hmm. He has said so clearly that, uh, you know, there'll be new conditionalities, new carbon conditionalities on farmers. What does he mean by that? I mean, I think farmers should definitely do ecological farming. I don't think it needs a police state run by corporations to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. We need freedom from the chemicals and freedom from the brainwashing that came from the chemicals. So we're going to get a lot of carbon terrorism and carbon colonialism for a while till the dust will settle. But Gates owning farmland and becoming the biggest farmland owner is because he wants to become the biggest controller of land and food all over the world. And and through this, I find it incredibly interesting because so many people um, have bought into this idea that he's a philanthropist and gives away all his money. Like if if I mention Bill Gates in any kind of negative sense in the wrong room, people are like they're they're gassed. They're like. How could you all don't you know he gives away billions to charities he's so he's helping africa he's he's you know he's doing he has all the, these narratives when someone says that to you, how do you respond to to try to bring sense to the true nature of his behavior well um you know my book oneness versus one percent is about all the new ways his giving becomes a grabbing. So, for example, he gave money to Berkeley and he gave money to Cambridge to, uh, for the, this new technology of CRISPR gene editing, the mm-hmm. new GMOs. Mm-hmm. But he has a company called Editas, which collects all the patents. And when the two groups he financed had a fight, he financed the fight. You know? he, so for him, the issue, just like for Monsanto, the issue was owning the seed. Mm-hmm. And if genetic engineering was the way to do it, they did genetic engineering. For him, his giving is a way of accessing that which he could never have access to. No. Public knowledge. Yeah. You know, if Berkeley was doing its own research on CRISPR, where would Mr. Uh, Gates have a company called Editas? Hmm. But it's worse. You know, I've been part of writing national and international laws to protect biodiversity. And the Biodiversity Convention basically recognizes the sovereignty of the biodiversity, both of the communities as well as the country where the biodiversity is. Mr. Gates has tried very hard and is still trying to create digital mapping. You know, there's a seed. Mm And the seed has knowledge in it. Mm-hmm. But I can also do a genomic mapping, just like the price of this book, you know, yeah. this kind of, of map. That, does, that has a lot of knowledge missing in it. But he is pushing in a big way to take control over the seed of the world. He's created a Svalbard, you know, they call it the Doomsday Seed Vault. I have done... A lot of work on seed saving. I do it myself, but mm-hmm. I also studied the World Bank initiated uh, CJR system. Mm-hmm. He gets a little bit of money, and then he takes over the whole of Icrisite and all of Erie and makes Erie do golden rice and genetically engineered rice. So his giving is a bit like someone catching a fish mm-hmm. and putting a little bit of bait. Yeah. Now, do you call someone who catches a fish and eats it that night a giver? 
No, you don't. Mm -hmm. So his giving is bait. His giving is enclosures of the commons. Mm -hmm. His giving is for taking much larger quantities than he gets. Otherwise, if he's giving away all his money, how does he get richer all the time? Exactly. Simple mm -hmm. arithmetic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, we, I worked with movements around the world two, two years ago to put together all the things that Mr. Gates is up to, changing the weather, geoengineering, of course, the health issue, mm -hmm. uh, totally controlling, you know, the, the WHO, um, agriculture, food. And this book is out in the United States under the title Philanthrocapitalism. Mm -hmm. It's published by Synergetic Press, and your listeners could learn a little more about Gates. That's really interesting. I mean, you said, you, you mentioned the WHO um, and the controlling of that especially because I think it's relevant based on what we've all been through over the last two years and the narrative that has been fed from uh, organizations like that. It sounds, you know, I think there's a lot of people that are understanding there might be an, an element of being captured, um, those kinds of organizations by people like Bill Gates. Can you speak to that a little bit? Just because I think it's some, in some people's eyes, it's an esteemed like world organization. organization. Um, but and with all things that start with good intentions, sometimes they don't end that way. And I'd love to hear your perspective on the WHO. Well, you know, the United Nations system was created after the wars to create an intergovernmental platform, not one government, but all governments having an equal voice. And the difference between the WTO and the World Bank and the UN is in the UN, every country has the same vote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why it was so important. Mm -hmm. And these UN systems, which were the counter to the corporate world, are now being hijacked and corporatized. So, you know, uh, for example, in the WHO, Mr. Gates finances something he calls Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization. So he was pushing the vaccine agenda in WHO even before COVID. He's created a whole new platform with the junk food industry and agribusiness called GAIN, the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. Among his improved nutrition is genetically engineered gold, uh, golden rice. We finished it off in the year 2000 in India because we showed that this is so inferior to the sources of vitamin A that we have in our rich biodiversity. And it was rejected as an option. Mr. Gates finances it in Erie, hmm. pushes it on Philippines, dismantles all the regulatory laws. There's a UN food system. And the Food and Agriculture Organization is to food what WHO is to health. Mm -hmm. Mr. Gates hijacked the Food and Agriculture Food Summit. It's always been held in Rome where the uh, FAO is. I remember 1995. I mean, I've been there at so many food summits, always in Rome. Last year, it was hijacked to New York, and the head of the summit was not a UN re representative. It was the head of the Alliance for the Green Revolution in Africa, which Gates and Rockefeller started. So his representative became the the person running. And how did this happen? Mm -hmm. Because the UN Secretary General and World Economic Forum wrote a contract. They just wrote an agreement. 
Yeah. The now onwards, the UN system will serve big money. Mm -hmm. And it is true now that the UN system, instead of being a balancing force of power yeah. between the rich and the poor countries, a balancing force of not allowing the excesses, you know, if, if we didn't have the UN, we wouldn't have had a climate treaty. If we didn't have UN, we wouldn't have had a biodiversity treaty. That was what was needed. Mm -hmm. Right now, what's happening is the billionaires and the corporations are taking every element of the UN system and making it do the opposite of what it was meant to do. Instead of one country, one vote, it's the billionaires' votes that will matter. And they're rushing through. I mean, Mr. Gates has been caught bribing rep uh, representatives to pass the you know, geoengineering and gene drives in the UN system. So literally, he, you know, they're just waiting to ensure that there is nothing like a democratic representative presence of people at the international level. They only want billionaire presence at the international level. And that's why it's not enough for us to be very, very critical of this new global order, mm -hmm. but to create from local to global new solidarities. I mean, that after all, it was a small group of us who were looking at globalization and created the International Forum on Globalization, we managed to stop WTO in Seattle. Yeah? And just because we said, we are going to not allow the corporations to rule the world. Our world is not for sale. Hmm. Mother Earth is not for sale. And uh, yes, you know, governments are being hijacked, UN systems are being hijacked, and people's freedoms are being controlled but a lot of it with a lot of doublespeak, a lot of doublespeak. Mm -hmm. So if people are not discriminating, not relating to reality, people can slip into the next level of their own enslavement. And what is that next level? What does that look like? Well, they've written about it. So, you know, Mr. Klaus Schwab and his huh. COVID-19 and the Great Reset. And then they said it was... No, it's a book. It's a solid printed book. And you can just read it. Fourth Industrial Revolution. If you look at the first Industrial Revolution, what was it? It was using coal. Mm -hmm. It was using coal mm -hmm. to basically destroy the world's economies and then leave us with climate change. The second Industrial Revolution, in my view, was the chemicals, the fertilizers made again from fossil fuels. The third industrial revolution was genetic engineering, trying to engineer life itself. The fourth industrial revolution is the merger of genetic engineering tools of biotechnology, the financial tools of manipulating the wealth of the world mm -hmm. through fictitious finance, and information technology and all its tools of data management you know it's not an accident they call data the new oil yeah right. if the first oil created havoc you can imagine what industrializing of data itself will do to our world mr gates has a patent uh, it's a microsoft patent taken in march as the covid was erupting of us as users hmm. of their machines allocated our worth through the algorithms so it's not the case that every human being is equal. Yeah. 
but you will be judged and valued according to what value they give you, like the Chinese social credit system. So what is the future? If the billionaires have their way, if the controllers of the world have their way, no humanity. Because for me, humanity means being a human, knowing we are part of the Earth's web of life, having responsibility and rights, being able to make choices according to those responsibilities and rights. And when the algorithms make your choices for you through behavior modification, you've lost your humanity, you've lost your freedom. Right. Wow. So, so the new colonization, first colonization was land, then it was seed, now new colonization is of our humanity, our bodies and our minds, both. That's why we have to defend our minds and our bodies. Wow. How do we defend our minds and our bodies? What can we do? Like hearing all of these things, it's so scary. Not, I mean, I feel, wow, like this is really crazy what's happening. And I'm sure a lot of people listening and watching to this as well may feel the same way. How do we stop this? How do we fight against this? Well, uh, you know, through COVID, all the women I work with grew, grew fresh food, grew all the herbs that give you immunity. Mm -hmm. And they said, we built our immunity. We did not get COVID. Hmm. So we need an immunity of multiple kinds. Um, you've done yoga, mm -hmm. meditation. These are ways in which you keep your mind free of pollution and manipulation. That's what the power of meditation really is, mm -hmm. to, to live your being in its full integrity. And the second, of course, for the body is having deeper knowledge of what makes your health growing your food as you have started in your garden, as I do with Navdanya, mm -hmm. and not allowing that fossil fuel industry that created the agrochemicals that are killing life on this earth and also created Big Pharma. Mr. Rockefeller created Big Pharma. And he made all living knowledges of healing illegal. I'm so glad I'm in India where Ayurveda yes. mm -hmm. is the known and respected heritage. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, they tried very, very hard, even during COVID, to not allow Ayurvedic uh, treatments. Mm -hmm. But I have a friend who became, she was an engineer, she became an Ayurvedic doctor. Mm -hmm. And they had a very systematic analysis. Zero deaths <laughs> and no serious issues just through Ayurvedic treatment. So we need to move from what I call epistemic dictatorship, you know, the dictatorship over the mind and how you know, to epistemic sovereignty and democracy. Sovereignty means you must know your knowledge. You must know your knowledge through your relationships, your relationships with the earth, your relationships with community, your relationship with your body. And democracy means respect for the different ways of knowing. Hmm. Because there are so many ways of knowing. That's so poetic. That's so beautiful, actually. I think that I think that's really important because people seem so quickly to defend the position that they stand in for the perception that they've sort of, that they've found to make sense of the world the way they see it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so important in this day and age to listen to ideas and to challenge the, those structures inside of ourselves and be open 
be open to the idea that it could be different than we see it and to seek the truth that could help us define it. Um, and from what it sounds like, and I love what you're saying about, about taking care of yourself and your mind and your body and meditating first to, to take care of you and to work on your immunity. That sovereignty, I think it's so important and it's so overlooked. I mean, we literally spent two years in a, in a, in a health crisis and no one talked about health, yes. um, which is astounding to me that, you know, they, had, they spent so much money. Um, telling us how to fix the symptom. They never went to the root and like just put commercial, they could have bought commercials on TV and talked to people about immunity, yeah. about, <laughs> about mindfulness, about vitamin D, about yeah. so much. And, and, and it's funny because it seems so obvious once you're open to the idea that maybe it wasn't just mishandled out of an accident, but maybe there is some undercurrent to this. People call it a great reset. They call it, you know, a new world order. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people have approached it. Most of it gets thrown away as a conspiracy theory um, in a mainstream arena, if they wanted to discuss it there. Uh, how, like, how do you approach under, like, if someone wants to know, like, what is the truth of this go that's going on? Like, is it the great reset? Is that what this is? Is this the, the agenda of the powerful and elite? And, and, and... <laughs> How do we process through it if we're living in a place where it seems like too big a mountain to climb? Uh, yeah, it's a big mountain to climb if you think of the forces at work. Mm -hmm. But if you think of the life you must lead, it's your life. It's not a mountain. <laughs> You're not climbing the mountain of your life. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, um, Mr. Schwab has said very clearly that COVID is a brilliant opportunity to put the Great Reset in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and then if you look, you know, what I talked to you about this convergence of the genetically engineered world of living systems, the, uh, the behavioral modification of the surveillance technologies mm -hmm. and the surveillance economy, and then the money making through creating fictions, um, you know, Mr. Rockefeller again, you know, comes out of his grave all the time. He has cooked up, the Rockefeller Foundation has cooked up new natural asset companies that will use the crisis, just like Mr. Gates is using the climate crisis to totally take over. Rockefeller Foundation has created new natural asset companies that will bet on nature, on Wall Street. Hmm. And, and they're imagining they'll make $4,000 trillion while the planet is collapsing. Uh, so, you know, the, they call it fintech. They call it gen genetic engineering, fintech, mm -hmm. and then information technologies. So when, when we look at this is where they want to take it, then you look at what progressed during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what progressed during the lockdown. Hmm. So, you know, as a as a scientist, you know, I, I, I connect dots mm -hmm. and draw lines. So all you have to say is we were here. They wanted us to be there. And during the COVID, this is the path they made us go. And now book after book and research after research and legal cases after legal cases are coming out to reveal a, just how manipulated it was mm -hmm. and how countries like Sweden that never had a lockdown had no problem at all. Yes. Yeah. We were made to become afraid of ourselves and each other. Yes, we were. Yeah. <laughs> 
and 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 it was very very difficult i think for a lot of people to to wrap their heads around how to maneuver that mm-hmm. um and i i guess i i think that's where when it comes to the great reset and this 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 idea um how do you def- like to sim to simplify it for people what is the great reset we've been talking a lot around it but what what's it all about what's going on what is here? the goal i guess with it right the the goal is of course control and profiteering from every element of life that has been a sovereign part of our living mm. yeah food you know step by step with chemical fertilizers genetic engineering but food is a very big part of the great reset freedom is the other big part that people should not be able to make their choices. Mm. So I don't know if you've read a brilliant book by this Harvard economist called Surveillance Capitalism. I've heard and she did it as an economic research. And she's basically how behavioral modification is coming up. Now, if we look at the election, not the, not the recent election, the election before, mm-hmm. Facebook sold data yeah. to Cambridge Analytica. And Cambridge Analytica put four categories of hate. Hate for blacks, hate for women, hate for Muslims, and hate for migrants. And then they targeted the, you know, the election machinery for hate. Not for freedom, but for hate. Hmm. Uh, We will see and and, you know, I don't shop. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a consumer. But if I write something and then suddenly you know, an image will pop up. I don't even wear Western dresses. I wear my sari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, if I use a certain color, a Western dress will pop up, you know, available on so-and-so and Amazon. So it's already either pushing you to be a behavior modification for you to buy something you don't need or to give up your freedom and be manipulated through hate and fear to think you are creating democracy. So the reclaiming of this is for me a simple life you know you know consumption was the word for tb in the middle ages mm-hmm. and we're using consumption as a positive word in this age of never having enough yeah. so we need definitely a sense of enoughness and we will not be able to solve the ecological crisis and the unemployment crisis if we do not get out of the consumerist world because the consumerist world is where the non-thinking actions take place. The second, of course, is freedom. Yeah, And I don't think freedom is purely a vote once in four years. Freedom is lived. Mm-hmm. And that's why I talk of Earth democracy, as a democracy of all life. Because our freedom cannot be detached from the freedom of those who support our life. If I cut every tree and I can't breathe, if I kill every river with poison and I can't drink water, And if I destroy the food that gives me health, then food will not be health, food will be disease. So this interconnected freedom, then, you know, instead of the vote, it becomes living. And through your everyday living in consciousness, with the lowest possible footprint and the largest heart print and head print, we've got to enlarge our head print to know to have discrimination and choices, discernment, the right and the wrong. Well, that's, 
I mean, it, it seems very clear when you're open to the idea that mm -hmm. that could be the agenda and what is reaped as a benefit from it. Um, you think that's also going, you know, all of these things are taking us to a point, and you talk about this, you know, in, in your in your teachings, in your book, and uh, in your movie as well, um, the sixth mass extinction, right? Like this is, if we don't start to address all of these issues that are happening and all of, all of our freedoms that are being taken, like are we being led towards the sixth mass extinction? Well, you know, people think of extinction as other species. Mm -hmm. I think for me, the sixth mass extinction is first and foremost of the biological human species because you know we are a we are a species with a very narrow niche. Yeah, mm -hmm. we need a certain temperature, we need a certain climate to grow our food. That's why we arrived only two hundred thousand years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, the plants are our elder relatives. They came four billion years ago, and they have to be our teachers in this transition. Not plant-based but plants, hmm. plants as sentient beings, plants as full integrity to teach us how to f belong, how to be rooted, mm -hmm. how to not have to run around to look for something that you can't find outside yourself. Mm -hmm. And and I think this, this moment, in fact, the crisis in, you know, we should be grateful. I always say I'm so grateful to Monsanto if they hadn't been as greedy and manipulative as they were, where would I know about the seed? Yeah. Where would I know about the generosity of this world? And in a way, you know, to the Klaus Schwab's and the Gates, we should say thank you for rushing your agenda so hard and so fast that we can wake up to what life is really about. Hmm. Yes. Do you feel that there is a way, like a, a, a stirring of consciousness, a, a, an awakening going on? Um, yes, yes, very much, very much. And, and I mean, for those who get, for those who respond much more to the mainstream media signaling, they're getting trapped, you know, mm -hmm. they're getting trapped in silos, they're getting trapped in trauma, they're getting trapped. But if you allow your full being to respond to the moment we're in, I think that consciousness is growing very, very rapidly. That's beautiful. And what is, what is the... What are the tools that people can can reach out to? Are there specific writers or um, I mean, your oneness versus the one percent book was a huge, mm -hmm. huge uh, catalyst for us. Yes. And we recommend it to our community quite often. Are there other thinkers, speakers, activists that you could recommend to people to dive into, to, to learn and to expand their 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 consciousness around this? Well, I would definitely recommend people to read Wendell Berry. Okay. Beginning with his book on, I think about 35 years ago, on the unsettling of the Americas, which solved my puzzle because I said, America's done so well with industrial agriculture. Why is it so bad for us? Mm -hmm. And I was making excuses in my <laughs> oh, because they're a temperate country. We are a tropical country. They're rich and we are poor. Mm -hmm. And then I read The Unsettling of the America. And I realized that what happened to Punjab is what happened to the United States. And he's still very, very sensitive, you know to the the moment that we are in. My new movement biography, Terra Viva, for those who want to have a sense of what happened mm -hmm. over the last 50 years. Why are we, how did we get to the place where we are? Both in terms of people's options, as well in terms of the domination of the billionaires and corporations. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
And then, you know, look at Earth University, look at Navdanya website, both the Navdanya International website and Navdanya is spelled N-A-V-D-A-N-Y-A, which means nine seeds, but it also means the new gift. And for me, the new gift of the seed is the commons that, you know, this is not about intellectual property. I mean, a, a corporation which is a piece of paper and has no intellect cannot create seed. Yeah? Seed is evolution, evolution in continuity. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, my, my books are in the U.S. with North Atlantic, mm -hmm. with my book, uh, The Green Revolution, is with the Kentucky University Press, who also prepared a reader of all my writings mm. on uh, on agriculture. Yeah, it's it's called the Vandana Shiva Reader on Agriculture. And Wendell Berry has done the foreword. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. Well, well, we'll definitely include all the links in the show bio here so everyone listening and watching to this can have access to defining all of this. Mm -hmm. And and maybe just to talk about the seed a little bit, because I find I find that that's really fascinating and sometimes a really hard thing for people to wrap their minds around as well, myself included. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about them owning the seed and patenting the seed, is this because, and they've managed to create a system around it so that they can profit from owning that seed. That's what it sounds like. How did this happen and... and what can we do um, to take that power yeah. back away from them? Well, it it started in the United States, mm -hmm. and uh, and I won't go go through all the boring uh, details. But there was a very famous case of Ex parte Hibbard. But it's the U.S. government used by Monsanto to push intellectual property on living systems, Article Twenty Seven Three B of the TRIPS Agreement on the WTO. And through that, they wanted to force all countries to patent seed. Now, what's a patent? A patent is a claim to invention. Mm -hmm. A patent is a monopoly that prevents anyone else from making, having, using, selling what is patented. In the field of seed, a patent on seed means a farmer cannot save their seed. It becomes a crime. A farmer cannot evolve seed. Farmer cannot exchange seed. Farmers, of course, cannot sell seed if a seed is patented. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason I started Navdanya, because I, you know, without seed exchange and seed saving, we would not have freedom. We wouldn't have seed freedom. Mm -hmm. And when all this was happening, 80% of the seed was in the farmer's hands. So we said we're going to create community seed banks where the seed will be a commons to be shared. And from the seed saving, you know, seeds we saved, people said useless, useless, useless. They had salt tolerance and they've allowed us to face climate change. And truckloads of seed have been distributed after disasters. We've saved the millets, which we called forgotten foods. And we said we will make these forgotten foods the future foods. They were called primitive seeds, backward seeds, because they were dark like me. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and whiteness and racism had even gone into food and breeding. Um, next year is the year of the millets, and it will be future seeds because they're, on, they're the only crops that need very little water, mm. that produce huge amounts of biomass, and can produce 400 times the nutrition using the same amount of water. Um, what does it actually mean in reality? Let me just give you two examples. So we managed in India, through our parliament, to say seed is not an invention. Seed is not a machine. 
seeds, animals, plants are not human inventions, therefore they cannot be patented. But Monsanto brought the US patent on the Bt cotton, showed it to the Indian industry and said, we have a patent. The poor in industry did not know that the US law and our law are different. For 10, 15 years, they took royalties through the Indian seed companies and the farmers. The price of seed jumped from five rupees a kilogram of cotton to 4,000 rupees a kilogram. Oh. Wow. Just divide 4,000 by five and look at the percent, mm -hmm. 80,000%. So we are talking of an uneconomic system. Farmers got into debt. It didn't work. I mean, it wasn't adapted to the drought. It wasn't, it could not control pests. Farmers ended up in being in a debt trap. India has lost 400,000 farmers to suicide since 1995, when globalization started and Monsanto came in. And 85% of these suicides are in the cotton area. 95% of the cotton is Monsanto's monopoly, illegal monopoly, hmm. because they lied all the way. And we've had cases, we've had a competition commission, you know, all of this. But they manage to go below the law and above the law. I did a rough calculation for the United States because you're growing mainly Roundup Ready crops and Bt crops and it's corn and soya, GMO corn, GMO soya, 80% of which goes for animal feed and biofuel. Looking at the royalty, $10 billion a year. So wow. what a patent means is a forbidding mm -hmm. of farmers exercising their freedom to have seed, to save seed, to exchange seed. And it also means denying the freedom of the seed itself, because the nature of seed is to multiply. Mm -hmm. A patent is a legal prohibition. You cannot multiply. <laughs> Diversity is nature. You know, we've evolved 200,000 varieties of rice. Navdanya has saved 4,000. Right now we are harvesting the 750 varieties growing on the Navdanya farm right now. Well, Watch what's happened since patenting spread, because for every acre of a patented seed, there's royalty flow. Right. So why is all of Argentina GMO soya? Why is all of Brazil GMO soya? Why is all the Midwest soya, GM soya and corn? Because the patent drives monocultures, because that's where the royalties come back. So it's rent collection, you know? If, if landlordism, was about collecting rents from the peasants who had been dispossessed from the land. This is life lordism, you know, collecting rents from life itself. So sorry for another interruption. I just wanted to remind you that if you are enjoying this podcast, it would mean the world to us if you click that follow and subscribe button. Thank you so much. Back to the conversation. And so you say the GMO, GMO soil is one of the monocrops that they're, that the, that they're pushing. Is, and is that directly connected to the the, te the the food and labs like does that come back to silicon valley in a way um or is that well, you know look look at the, look at that impossible burger it has 14 patents on it wow. it's made of roundup sprayed gm soya mm -hmm. people have done research that it's got huge they call it the cancer soya because this level of residues of roundup is so high that you will get cancer and then they put an artificial blood to make it look like meat i can't understand 
how people who don't want to eat meat want to eat food that looks like meat and tastes like meat. It makes no sense. This to me is the the alienation mm-hmm. from, you know, you're knowing what fruit is and what you're eating and you, you get deceived at every level. Yes, GMO soya is a big raw material mm-hmm. for the fake meat industry. Wow. Don't eat meat. Yeah. Go eat a carrot. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you grow some dal? What do you eat? What's your diet look like? Well, I'm a vegetarian, mm-hmm. but I am not, you know, I I love cheese. Um I love yogurt. Oh, I love yogurt. <laughs> and <laughs> and my favorite dish is khichdi and yogurt. You know, khichdi is yeah. the mix of lentils and uh, and rice. I love khichdi. And mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, khichdi is brilliant. Wow. I mean, if you know how to cook Kichri mm-hmm. you will never ever go hungry or have malnutrition. <laughs> it's amazing and it's delicious too. And for um, you and for you to keep the like if if that is the the diet and the the fuel for your fire. How do you keep your fire burning so strong? Like what how like you're an amazing individual and your your impact is felt throughout the entire world through your activism. Um how do you keep that going? What's your secret? <laughs> well it's not fuel <laughs> because fuel is an external <laughs> uh, it is shakti it is energy mm. yeah energy not as fuel that comes from outside or below the ground fossilized over 600 million years by the earth mm-hmm. it is knowing it's it's relating to the creativity of the universe of which we are part of the earth and her living systems and respecting the creativity of the last human being because there is not a single human being who doesn't have some dimension of creativity and the minute you have that respect then out of it grow new bonds and new relationships and out of those relationships create is created a amazing nonviolent power and you know i think the big leap as a civilization we need to make is the leap out of descartes you know yeah. who said i'm a thinking thing without a body poor man you know mm-hmm. thinking thing without a body and silicon valley has gone crazy because they think they're thinking things without bodies mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and and don't do don't realize real bodies need real food and the earth's real body needs real care and real nourishment mm-hmm. so i i would just say my you know i've never ever broken myself off from the life of which i'm a part so beautiful the connectedness yeah the connection to yourself and yeah. and to nature as well yeah. we are nature yeah. when you really look at it right we well, came from it we're part of it and we are so connected to it as well and that's something that really hurts me is is this disconnection that they're trying to push on all of us right not just with the, the digital age and and keeping us apart from each other's interactions as human beings with the lockdowns and everything but it's like you're saying also with this um food that they're genetically modifying it's taking away that joy of of eating from the earth and and taking the abundance of what mother nature has created for us because mother nature is so powerful the earth is so powerful and it is it allows us to thrive as we are part of its creatures right and as soon as we remove that connection and we start creating food in labs and and putting these chemicals into our bodies like of course we're going to just Mm-hmm. Fade, you know, like and it takes our life force. Our, it, it doesn't sustain our prana in that way, right? You know, I did uh, a small booklet during COVID with a, a brilliant Ayurvedic doctor um, on the three patterns 
that were popping up at that time, the patents on uh, Impossible Burger, a patent on nanoparticles in the blood for dealing with anemia and uh, you know deficiency of iron. Mm -hmm. And again, we have just so much diversity. And guess who has the patent on nanoparticles in the blood for dealing with anemia? Mm -hmm. Google. Google has started a new life sciences division 2015. And one of the statements being made by the head of their life sciences division is, we have to defeat mother nature. Now that has been the project of, you know, of the me mechanistic worldview, which then fed colonialism and uh, this defeating mother nature rather than, you know, being aware and conscious that she's living mm -hmm. and non-violence is our relationship with her. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, Descartes is in digital form and Descartes is in fake food form and Descartes is in all kinds of of thinking that we can we are thinking things without bodies right. and and uniting again you know that not only are our minds and bodies one but every part of our body is intelligent yeah mm -hmm. and it's not an accident that they call the gut with 600 trillion microbes the second brain yeah mm -hmm. so eating is an intelligent act mm -hmm. Yes. I know for sure. And also in like an Ayurveda, as they say, like most of the diseases start in the gut, right? Like a lot of Absolutely. illnesses start here. So if what we're putting in there is actually contributing to our overall well-being, physical and mental, which is so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah. so to help people at home understand like a next step, an actionable item, what is the shift of the mental paradigm we need to encourage in ourselves and each other? in order to start walking in a path that supports helping the planet rather than contributing to its ultimate destruction? The first is to not think of ourselves as outside the planet's life. You know, we've had with colonialism, industrialism, the idea of the earth as dead matter just for raw material. And we are always outside as conquerors, as manipulators. And I think that shift is vital. But the earth is living and we are part of her. And, and that brings you humility, but it also gives you power. Hmm. You know? Because now you're not deriving your power alone in this isolated atomistic extent. You're deriving your power from all the interconnected beings of which you're a part. Definitely a shift from monocultures, including the monocultures being created by fabricated negative identities which is very intense right now. And, uh, and from monocultures to biodiversity, that, uh, to diversity of every kind. That issue is not one person forcing others. I mean, this is the new culture in the United States. Right. I want to be this, but I want to force you to be that. Mm -hmm. No. Pluralistic societies let different people find their parts. And the main thing you shouldn't do is encroach on others' freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah? You cannot define freedom as forcing everyone around you to think like you, be like you. Uh, this crazy cancel culture. Yeah? No, allow diversity to thrive. Diversity of knowledges, diversity of food, diversity of colors and races and diversity of religions and beliefs. Um, I think the third big shift is globalization. 
in my view. Of course, it was very violent to Indian farmers. We lost 400,000. It was very violent to local businesses. Mm -hmm. But as an economy, we weren't wiped out. Because the United States was such a big economy, WTO allowed outsourcing. You know, and I was I watched that period when China was not in WTO, and it was American corporations which were insisting that China be brought to mm -hmm. WTO so they could outsource. Mm -hmm. So, you know, China today is the creation of American corporations. For sure. You know, 80% of what Walmart sells is made in China. Mm -hmm. So, you know, overnight, all of the factories were outsourced. And I think that sudden uh, loss has been very, very painful for very large parts of, of the American society. Mm -hmm. And and I think a big shift we have to make is from the idea of a globalized economy, which has to be a corporate economy, to local economies that are living, that are thriving, mm -hmm. that are taking care of the earth and taking care of the people. Because if we don't meet three needs at the same time, we'll never be able to solve the problems. The needs of the earth, of care and regeneration, the needs of people to have work, to produce, the needs of people to have the food and the clothing and the shelter. Look at the housing crisis mm -hmm. that has been created through COVID, you know, yeah. out of the blue. And, and the right to shelter, the right to food, the right to water, these are all universal rights. So I think building local economies, I and mean, look at the amazing land you have, look at the amazing people you have, it just means a little bit of innovation in how we are going to reclaim the Earth's gifts and our capacities. Amazing. That's so beautifully said, thank you. Yeah, and, and if, how can people support you? I think, and support you on your mission. What is the best thing that someone can do that's watching this and feels inspired? What can people do? Well, become part of the movement. Come to Navdanya. Come to our courses, but come to just learn from nature and learn the power of abundance and sharing and of community. And for those who want to donate, we have a partner organization that supports Navdanya. They are called Friends of Navdanya, they're based in Santa Barbara, and I will send the details and the links. Amazing. But there's an American found at 501c3 to which you can donate, and then they support our work. That's wow. beautiful. And, for, you know, for, uh, we're going to be, when WTO started and the GMO started, some of us in the, in the women's movement, we got together and created a movement called Diverse Women for Diversity. Mm. Yeah, because... Uh, Everywhere it was monocultures, it was, you know, in India talking about the Hindu bomb and Pakistan talking about the Muslim Islamic bomb. I said, it's the same bomb, it's the same fission. And so there was this uh, monoculture being pushed and we said, we'll be diverse women for diversity. And for those who want to take a holiday to India, come join the celebration of our diversity on 4th of March before Women's Day. And we'll do it on our farm. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. That's wonderful. I oh, will definitely include all this information in the show notes as well for people so they can read and, and click and learn all about it. And of course, include your links to your, your memoir and your Seeds of Indana Shiva as well. Beautiful documentary. 
um, the Oneness versus One Percent, another powerful book that impacted our life so greatly. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is this has been amazing. And, and yeah. thank you, thank for you, Vandana. Yeah. Not just your time with us, but your energy and. Mm-hmm. And your vision and your ferocity to bring this like with such passion (laughs) Mm -hmm. to the front of the conversation. It's so necessary. And honestly, you have nothing but like two massive supporters of anything we can ever do to help you on your way. You're such an inspiration. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye bye.